Well, I welcome you home as well. This is the season to come home to Jesus Christ, the child, the child that was sung so well, but is sung well in your hearts as well. So I say to you, grace and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first Sunday in Advent. And the season of Advent, which literally means welcoming or preparing for His coming, this is that season. I'm Elder James Schaefer, just to say hello to you, and love the fact that there are Christmas essentials. Those things maybe you saw on the screen a minute ago, Christmas essentials such as wrapping paper, such as a gift, a mystery gift, Elizabeth, and this is essential for us to keep in mind, that these are Christmas essentials. And I will illustrate with you right now how to take this essential tenderly, lovingly, carefully, and accurately wrapping this so that it becomes... Okay, that's... So that it becomes a cherished gift. And I'm going to show you how I do it, actually. You know what? This is really the way I do it, and so I, I'm, and this is how you're going to get it, Elizabeth. Okay, but I, let me ask you, in reality, what is the Christmas essential? It is the child, the child Jesus Christ. We heard, and you've heard the old, old hymn, what child is this? Referring to not only what the Scripture says, but I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your copy of the Scripture to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8 and chapter 9 that are the anthem of what child is this? The story of who this child is. And Isaiah wrote almost 2,700 years ago. The birth of Christ about 2,000 years ago, 700 years before, Isaiah wrote an exact prophecy about this child, the most amazing prophecies concerning the Messiah, his first coming and his final return in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to read beginning verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 1, and then skipping to verses 6 through 7. Beginning chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought them into contempt in the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious by the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And now to verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it 
with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now normally we cannot expect too much of a child, small c, like Shep perhaps. We shouldn't expect too much of a child. But this child, capital C, that Isaiah describes, he is God. This child is God. And we must expect everything, everything that the Scripture says of him. This child is essential to your Christmas in 2023 because he is God who changes our life and he's God who changes our eternity for all those and for anyone, you or anyone, who ask him in to your heart. I'm going to explain a little bit more about that later on, but this is for Christians and for those who are pre-Christians or do not even identify themselves as Christians. Every heart can come to this child, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. But why is this child so essential in yours or others' hearts that is so particular to 2023? And it is this, and the first point I want to make is this. This child happens to know about our gloom. The gloom that has been part of our society, maybe even the gloom of your own heart. In chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, it explains that. But some may ask me and wonder, so how is this, James, going to be a Merry Christmas message? How are you going to get beyond this gloom perspective? But I would be ignorant if I had not noticed about your year, perhaps even my year, this year 2023. It's been rough. It's been rough for you. It's been rough for this world. We can't avoid it. And God does not avoid it as well. That's why Isaiah says that the child knows our gloom. Now the child knows even about the wickedness of gloom. And I'm going to read from you in chapter 8 verse 19. When people they say to you, inquire of mediums and necromancers, that is people who deal in death, people who deal in sorcery, people who deal even in the manipulation of spirits. That actually is the context that this child came into. He knows about the wickedness of gloom. And I want to say that gloom is not just depressive. In many cases, it's even wicked. And we have experienced that. This world is experiencing that. And Isaiah refers to the wickedness due to several factors, such as corruption. In corruption in that time, internal to the government, in corruption external with other nations, especially Eastern nations in the context. War, war between Israel, Palestine, and the world. Inflation, inflation that is whipsawing the economy and people's lives. And then social media that's demonic. 
Now, you may think I'm referring to what's going on now, but I am telling you that this is the gloom that was of Isaiah's time, and it also seems to be that which is in our time. The wicked sorcery of that time has not disappeared, friends. You know, sometimes the purveyors and the sellers of stuff always advise us then as well as today, and they urge us to inquire of every wicked thing but God, to ask anyone else but God for his guidance. You know, wickedness like sorcery still exists in this world, and you know what I'm talking about. But in the West, the equivalents are sometimes those, quote-unquote, those choices that we seem to enjoy. Choices like substance abuse, pornography, divorce, abortion, betting and gambling, sexual preferences, infanticide, and genocide, and the list goes on and on and on. And I'm not trying to depress you, but I'm trying to be truthful to the context of what Isaiah refers to. This is the wickedness then and the wickedness that we see today, and it's not only going on for those who are considered decent people, but sometimes we experience this even in the church. So what happens to a society when people are subject to such wicked gloom? And chapter 8, verses 21 and 22 answers that question. And it says this, They will pass greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God as they turn their faces upward. And then they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Friends, wickedness is not a surprise. And sometimes wickedness nips at our heels, maybe nipping at your heels as well. But this is the wickedness of gloom, then as well as today. Have you been going through gloom? Maybe hurt and depression? Maybe this has been your case. And as Dennis prayed, he was holding your hearts and your needs in those hands before the Lord because we know that there is gloom about us, but we also know this, that the child, the child experienced that gloom for us. He knows our gloom because it says later on in this prophecy of the book of Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected of man a man of sorrows, and acquainted with our grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This child, this person that is prophesied, never experienced this wickedness, never practiced this wickedness. Hebrews says that he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. But the child knows, the child knows wickedness of our gloom. So what did he do? Did he just stand there and throw stones at it? 
Did he just accuse us of being wicked? Did he leave us to wither and to writhe in our pain? Instead, the child knows the wickedness of our gloom, but he also knows that the word of God ends gloom. And this is where he asked rhetorically in chapter 8, again, and he asked in the second part of verse 19, should not therefore, should not therefore a people inquire of God? This wickedness we're going through and the purveyors of lust and the purveyors of those things that we're experiencing are selling everything to us. But then the prophet says this, should not we inquire of God? Of course we should. Here the prophet begins to reveal the light of the dawn of Christmas. He says in verse 20, Go back to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, according to the word of God, it is because they have no dawn. So I ask again, what did the child do? What did this child who we laud in him as well as in scripture do? He knows that the word of God ends Gloom ends our gloom. And that word is not just something that we see as a philosophy or as an X or Twitter mem or a Facebook poem that we like or a political statement used by politicians quite often or like hundreds of other religious books and so-called scriptures of other religions. Instead, the child, the child brought the Word of God. He is the Word of God to end our gloom. And that's why Matthew, in chapter 4 of Matthew, literally fulfills Isaiah's prophecy by saying this, to the people living in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then the scripture goes on and Matthew goes on to explain what the light did, what the child, what Jesus Christ did. And from that time on, verse 17 of Matthew 4, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. The child, Christ Jesus, the child, knows that he is the light of the word of God. And the only way to end our gloom, he is light. He is the word. And what did he do to reveal that word? He said, turn, repent, come to me, come to me. There was a young lady in our family. And that young lady was looking at a family photo of a great, great grandpa. He was sitting on the porch and as she studied the grainy photo, she noticed he was reading the Bible. And she began thinking, and she decided to begin reading the Bible at that very time. And that day ended her depressive decision to commit suicide and to commit her life to Christ. Friends, I want to say it very clearly 
And I think that this is something that needs to be said among ourselves and to others. The word of God ends gloom in this world and ends your gloom as well. Why do we allow any longer the posts that are on our pages or the preferences that we continue to pursue or the prime TV to replace the word of God? Why do we allow it any longer? Because that seems to add to our gloom when we pursue those things. But the word of God, the word of God, like Isaiah said, Go back to the teaching. Go back to the testimony. This word. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying to cut ourselves off from the world, but hasn't the light dawned on us that we must learn and speak more and more and more of God's word to ourselves and to others? Hasn't the light dawned on us or on this world? Have you turned? Have you come to the child whose word ends this world's, ends your gloom? That's what this child knows. He knows about the wickedness of gloom. He came to it. He knows that the word ends our gloom. The child knows it, but I want to ask you a question. Who is this Christmas essential. Who is this Christmas child? Like the hymn asked the question, what child is this? And that brings us to the second point. This child is God's glory. And I want to read again chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. And verse 6, therefore, continues by saying, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. What child is this? He is the essential Christmas. He is God's glory. He's, and I would say there's more than that. He's first off, unassailable glory. To be unassailable means to be perfectly protected. Nothing can defeat him who is our glory. Nothing can defeat him. Listen, as you listen to the verbs in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, because all of these verbs speak of that which has been already accomplished. It's the perfect tense but it means that which is already done, already made glorious, because he's already done everything for life with him. No one can reverse it. No one can counter the glory that he has already 
already done. He's unassailable glory. Now, people in the military, like some of you here, or people in the government, or people with important jobs, often like to tell the commander, or often like to tell the boss, ma'am, sir, it's done. And whether that job or that mission be days off or even months off, they say, don't worry about it. It's done. Wouldn't you like the kids, your kids, to say, Mom, the bed, the dog, the teeth, the hair, the homework, the dishwasher, they're done. I know moms would say, and dads too, would like to say, oh, that's great. My, no, I know my wife would like me to say that more often. Jesus Christ, the child, said in this original language, this child, seven plus times, he said, it's done, it's done, it's done. We're not just, and I'm not just spiritualizing these promises. These are now realized. These are now completed. God sees them as done. It says in chapter 9, verse 1, there will be no more gloom. The unassailable glory, the child, died on the cross. Died on the cross for those who are despised and trash peoples, especially in the context of these Gentile peoples who happen to live in present-day Palestine and Gaza. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ have given them no more gloom for anyone who comes to him. Anyone here or anyone who desires to come to him. In chapter 9, verse 2, it says, And have seen a great light. The unassailable glory, the child, revealed the word of God. For the first time, we read in Matthew 4, as I mentioned earlier, to those Jews and to those non-Jews who were in Zebulun, the tribe of Zebulun. He demonstrated his first miracles there. And he also first preached there, repentance by turning to him. Come to me, is what he called, by that sea by the Jordan. Friends, the word stops the gloom for any person who comes to him, the light. And in chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, it says again and again, he has done, he has done. He has increased joy, the unassailable glory, the child took all burdens away. Verse 4 says, you have shattered all burdens. So through the Holy Spirit, he stops the gloom for any person, any person who wants, any person who wants to come to him now, because he has and he will end all wars. The child is unassailable. Nothing can defeat what he has already done. Nothing can change what he did. But he's also unstoppable glory. He is unassailable because it's done. He's unstoppable because it will never, ever end. And that's why the scripture goes on to say in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, for I say this again to you, for our understanding, a child has been born. 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and catch this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. There will be no end. When we think about it, if a politician or if anyone around here were to say, we're going to give you more government, we'd duck and hide. (laughs) But that's not what the scripture says. The child says this, of the end of his government and peace, and peace that we long for will never end. We can finally breathe with relief because he says he will establish it to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Did you know that this unstoppable glory will never ever stop increasing more and more and more? It's even better than the Big Bang. This kingdom of his will never end. It will always increase. He's also the unstoppable, everlasting name above all names. Chapter 9, verse 6, the second part says, He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And though these names are titles or qualities, Jesus himself, when he was walking on this planet, 2,000 years ago, he did not lie when he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, everlasting Father. And earlier Jesus said in John 10, I and the Father are one, everlasting, everlasting Father. This is why this is a Merry Christmas message. The unassailable will never, ever, ever change. The unstoppable will never, ever, ever continue to grow. This child has come. It's done. In the eyes of God, he has come. And these very promises are going to and are being fulfilled as we now here stand or sit. So the child knows about our gloom. Yeah, he does. He knows about your gloom or the gloom of people that have been either in touch with you or those who you hear or read about. He knows it. He also is God's unapproachable, unassailable glory. But I ask you a question. So what? Is there anything that I should do So what? Well, there is this, and this is the third point. This child, this child is calling the world. He's calling the world, and he's calling you. Because it says in chapter 9, verse 7, the very part that I did not read, the very last part, the zeal of the Lord will do this. 
Now, how does the world normally respond to God's zeal? <laughs> sort of like a Facebook like or an X mem like. For example, some people like that he knows about our gloom. They like that he's tender about our grief, that he comforts us, that he's the champion of the poor, the suffering, the unjustly treated. And I want to say very clearly, friends, these things are true. Some people seem to just like his word, the Bible. They like that the Bible inspires. They like that there's a strong moral code in the Bible. They like to repeat it. They like to ritualize it. They like to quote it online. They like it part of the speeches. They like to reference it. They even like devotional sites. And they like Bible studies. And they like Bible this and Bible that. And I want to say also very clearly, this is good. And yet you might sense, you might sense in what I'm saying a little bit of concern. Many people like Christ as a comfort. They like that he inspires. He's an inspiring doctrinaire. However, most people don't like God's zeal. It's hard to take. His burning, fervent, passionate desire for souls, for your soul, for my soul, for every broken soul in this world. He has a burning zeal for these lives, these people who are broken, who are bitter, and who are bound and bonded by their own sin. He has a zeal for them, and this world doesn't seem to really like that. Yet the child, I want to say very clearly as well, the child did not come to comfort and to inspire us. He came to call us. He came to call all people, all souls to his glory. And when we come to his glory, then he comforts, then he inspires, then he teaches. His light, he calls us to follow him. The child calls you. The child calls this world. But what will this world, what will I, what will you do? Now there's been many carols that have been written that seem to capture this idea. Even one of them that we sang even this morning so well with the team. One of these hymns or one of these carols is called in the bleak midwinter, perhaps a little depressing, a little gloomy. It was a Christmas carol written by Christina Rossetti in 1872. And the poem or the carol later on starts with gloom, but it ends with the call. Listen to verse 1. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow on snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. But then the turn of the words and the turn of the gloom to the call starts or ends in verse 4 by saying this, What can I give him? Poor as I am, 
If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise person, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Nothing more or nothing less, I can give him my heart. Friends, I ask you, as I said earlier, this is not just me speaking to this world. This is speaking to us, those who call themselves Christians, those who are pre-Christians, those who don't even identify as Christians. He, the child, is calling this world. And as Dennis prayed, he is calling us to call as well this world. Give him your heart. There is nothing more nor nothing less. Give him your heart, for the child loves you. The child as God, prophesied, fulfilled, calls you. And I ask you, in your chair, standing, praying, or coming forward, I ask you, give your heart to the child. It's not money that he wants. It's not anything more than you. Your heart. And so I ask as we would now pray and give our hearts to him, I would ask the prayer team to come forward. The prayer team as well will pray with you, anyone who wants to call, but you as you're seated, you as you're standing, if you would stand with me, please, if you're able, as we pray. And the prayer team will welcome you, but better yet, the child, the child welcomes you. So let us pray together. And Lord Jesus, we come before you as people who are needy. And we come before you as people who have a heart that has sometimes been overwhelmed by gloom. And yet you bring your word, you the word, the light of the world to this world. You are glory unassailable, unstoppable. And yet you call us to humbly give our hearts. We ask, hear us, O Lord. Hear us as we call out for your presence in our heart and for others who we call upon you for. Hear us, O Lord, and we ask because you welcome us and we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.